2: especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Let's be honest, three years ago, most of us didn't have a clue who Harvey Weinstein was. I mean, sure, maybe we would heard his name in various news about Hollywood, but I'd estimate that three years ago if I'd asked 100 random people to point Harvey Weinstein out in a lineup, maybe seven would get it right. Harvey Weinstein was a powerful Machiavellian force in Hollywood, a man that made massive moves in the shadows and behind the scenes. If you didn't work in the American movie industry, you probably heard his name in numerous Academy Award speeches. And that's not surprising because his companies, Miramax and the Weinstein Company, brought home a jaw-dropping 81 of the golden statuettes. Sure, rumors persisted of anger management issues, and his habit of being overly touchy-feely with starlets, but if you wanted a movie to get made, and if you wanted it to be widely available, and if you wanted to have a good chance at scoring Oscar gold, well, you went to Harvey. And then, in an October 2017 investigative report for The New Yorker, Ronan Farrow blew the lid off what was really going down, and Harvey Weinstein became a household name for all the wrong reasons. And then everybody did connect the face to the name, and they were even more disgusted. Because sure, everybody hates a rapist, but everybody really hates a rich, entitled, and hideously ugly rapist. And Weinstein was all of these things, especially the ugly part. Sincerely, the man looks like Lance Armstrong's cancer riddled scrotum if it were dressed in an ill-fitting suit. So the verdicts on whether Weinstein is a rapist and ugly as fuck are in, yes and hell yes. But with that in mind, today we will deliver the verdict on another question. Just how much of an asshole is Harvey Weinstein? Welcome to Asshole Asshole Court. Court. All right, guys, uh, initial scores. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right, Harvey
1: Weinstein. Um, everybody's heard of this guy at this point. I mean, um, mm-hmm. I don't even keep up with celebrities and all of that Hollywood gossip, and I know plenty of stuff about this guy. Um, I'm going to rate him pretty high right off of the bat. I don't know much about his history outside of you know what's in the court, the mm-hmm. regular court, not asshole court, but the regular court <laughs> right. uh, these days. And I, you know, know of his sentencing and stuff like that, but I don't know about his early years. I don't know about beginning companies and stuff like that. But I'm still going to rate him pretty high for everything that I do know. Start off, Harvey Weinstein. I'm going to give him a 7.5 as a starting okay. point because uh, he is a grotesque man who has done some shitty, shitty things, and yeah. I got to score him high. And I have a feeling I'm going to go up even higher by the time we get to the end of this. So. is my initial score for Harvey Weinstein.
0: All right. Randy? Absolutely. So, obviously, everybody, like you were saying, buddy, has known and heard about Harvey Weinstein in the news for the past couple of years. So, you have the surface-level information, um, and I'm going to be very interested to do the deep dive and learn more about what kind of framed the groundwork for Mm -hmm. a lot of all the gross shit he did. You know, and kind of reading some of the stuff, it almost feels like this guy Try to live his life like a movie, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Almost mm-hmm. like he was a character in his own film of life, and had this sick, twisted power, if like just a power crave, you yeah. know what I mean? Um Absolutely. So I'm going hard in the paint. This guy is a disgusting motherfucker. Off the rip, I'm giving Harvey Weinstein an 8.5. Wow. Wow. eight point five. Nice. Wow, wow, eight point five.
2: I like okay. it. Yeah. All right. So I have to go based on I literally the only way I can really get into this is. Like you guys were already saying, like for the past three years, his name has been in the news and the connotation is always negative. So I have to think before all that happened, what did I know about this guy? Right. I didn't really know much about him other than, like I said, I knew the Weinstein Company and I knew the movies that were being put out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, for the sake of, of I guess, to, to temper this a little bit, I'm going to go based on what I knew prior to three years ago, before this report got dropped out by Ronan Farrow. Even then, there were rumors that he was an asshole and, like I said, was a little touchy-feely and stuff like that. But, you know, I didn't know much about him. So, I would say before I went into this, before all that stuff happened, uh, I would probably have scored him like a 5.5, 5, something oh, like that. Oh, man, if we're going like before he Yeah, he's exactly. I'm saying I'm going, well, yeah, before <laughs> yeah. before that before that story
0: dropped, I didn't know anything me either. about oh, that. No, absolutely. So. I'm in the same boat with you.
1: Well, no, but no, Mikey's going back three years on this. We, me and you were basing it off of everything that's been within the past year or so. It sounded like. Within
0: the last 15 seconds.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it's sort of a tough. The preliminary is just sort of giving it, like, letting it out there. It's a litmus test. Fuck it. It,
0: It's not the final verdict.
1: Yeah.
2: All right. So, with
1: a 8.5 from Randy, a 7.5 from Buddy, and a 5.5 from Mikey, Harvey Weinstein has an initial asshole score of 7.16 repeating.
2: Harvey Weinstein is born on March 19th, 1952, in Queens, New York, to Max and Miriam Weinstein. Max was a diamond cutter in New York's Jewelry District. So, he worked with DDP. I was about to say yep. was he was a friend Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page. <laughs> now, by all accounts, Max was a fairly decent dad. The boys, Harvey and his brother Bob, idolized him, according to the people that were around at the time. And he introduced them to movies and taught them the basics about business. But Max was, according to those around at the time, a frustrated man who sometimes resented having to grind out a living to support his family. He dreamed of business success, of becoming wealthy enough to eliminate the worry in the day-to-day grind and improving his social status. He tried to do this two different times with two different businesses. The first was a retail store selling diamonds and jade. And the second was an attempt to sell diamond air, which was a synthetic diamond that would Came out into like early 70s. Well, he was trying to hustle. I mean, you can't yeah. knock
0: his, uh, not his, at all his want and desire, right. but and it makes a lot of sense for the, him to be in the diamond industry, 50s, New York, Jewish oh, guy. Yeah, like, certainly. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The shoe fits. They had sure. a whole
2: diamond district. So yeah. that's where you worked out of. And you had the garment district, diamond yeah. district, all that stuff like that. And the Fugazi diamond market. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, what, yeah. The diamond air was a total Fugazi. And, uh, I think that he thought it was going to be a big deal, but the, the diamond and jade store didn't do well in somewhat moderate. Failure. He kind of closed it down. But the second, the diamond air was a disaster and a crushing blow to Max and his family. Mm. Max's business attempts and subsequent failures created an economic uncertainty that was a continuous undercurrent throughout Harvey's upbringing.
0: So pretty much the business didn't do well. Family pressure. That's. I mean, that's as common as Americana gets. It's true. You know what I mean? It's that's the story you don't yeah, hear. Absolutely. Right? But it
2: happens frequently. It's, yeah. It happens much more common than the success story is the guy that goes out there, tries to hang a shingle Fails miserably and then is depressed because of it, I mm-hmm. think, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, sadly, although the boys apparently idolized their father, Max wasn't past screwing them over to help his businesses. On one occasion, Harvey's brother Bob asked for back pay for having to work in Max's shop to help pay for college. Max told him that he'd already spent Bob's back pay on new equipment for his business. Damn. Thanks,
0: Dad. That, yeah, that's pretty harsh.
2: That is pretty yeah. harsh. But I mean, not to defend Dad, but he's kind of
0: coming back after the fact or how long. I guess it would depend on how long.
2: If if they was said like, at the time it was, and I don't know how accurate the figure is, but the figure that was put in what I read was that he was asking for $9,000. Uh, that's
0: probably a chunk of change yeah. back then.
2: That's a lot of
0: back pay. But sounds- I wonder if it was like... Two or three years ago, you know, three or four years ago or how long ago it was. And then he comes back for it and like, hey, remember the overtime you didn't pay me
2: for? It could be. I think what I could gain from the story was that he'd worked there and his dad was like, I'll pay you later. All right. And that when and he, he was him. like, That's I have different. to go to college, I need to pay for my college. And he was like, I don't have the money because I spend it on the equipment. Oh, and the business failed. So, you know, sorry, oh, man. the resentment is real. You can, There's yeah, no way. Yeah, you can imagine. You know Jeez. I mean? yeah, yeah. At the same time, though, maybe it's like Bob's Burger setup. If like Tina and uh, like Luis ask Bob for their money for working at the restaurant, you know, it's like a family restaurant. Maybe it's just you have to kind of kick in for the family's help. <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, right. Like you, you, we put a roof over your
2: head. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still got to be pretty goddamn disheartening to go through as a kid, though, man. Especially when you're <sighs> maybe dependent on that money to go to college and improve your life. Which is what your parents are supposed to be doing to help you in the first place. Yeah, I'm sure he was like,
1: yeah, I can't wait. I just got to get out to college. Once I do, I got that money. Dad's
2: going to give it to me. And uh, yeah, none of that happened. Dad, never let that build up. You gotta ask every week. So it's it's like a hundred dollars they pay you, not nine thousand dollars. Dad, you're a savvy (laughs)
0: businessman and you've you've passed down a lot of great traits to me, and one of them is gonna be to ask for my money every week because I feel like you're gonna wind up fucking me over in the end. Exactly. And Mm. I'll even
2: do you a favor, I won't charge you a VIG on it, okay? (laughs) Another major influence in Harvey's life, aside from his father, was his uncle Shimmy Greenblatt. This sounds like some Mm. Fiddler on the Roof shit, right? Yeah, right? (laughs) Shimmy Greenblatt. Shimmy Greenblatt. In fact, some of those that grew up uh, with Harvey would argue that Harvey himself didn't actually respect his father that much. Instead, it was Uncle Shimmy that Harvey looked up to. According to one of Harvey's childhood friends, quote, Uncle Shimmy was a bit of a shyster. He had a supply store and he ripped off black people. But Harvey really, really adored him. He would sit at Shimmy's feet and listen to all these stories. And it was under the tutelage of Uncle Shimmy that Harvey allegedly began to learn to wheel and deal and also learned that ultimately success was more important than honesty. Oh, that sounds like a fantastic uncle. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It was around this time, likely inspired by his fantastic Uncle Shimmy, that Harvey and a friend bought hundreds of boxes of cookies wholesale and wearing the uniforms of Boy Scouts went door to door selling them for a dollar a pop more than twice the 39 cents that they paid. They pocketed the money themselves. Man. So, one,
0: they dressed up like Boy Scouts. They weren't Boy Scouts, right? Not at all. They just got the cookies. Got the cookies.
2: (laughs) Bought the cookies. Got the Boy Scouts. And then, like, you know, in Queens, man, I mean, talk about the population density ratio. You only have to do a couple blocks. So, I have a story about this. Okay. All right. I am in no way, shape, or form like
0: Harvey Weinstein. I share just a common childhood story.
1: (laughs) I love that you
0: have to preface this story with that. I do have to preface this story with that. So as a fundraiser back in the day for football, we had to sell candy bars, Mm -hmm. and they were a dollar a piece, and um, me and a couple of buddies on the football team would walk around the neighborhood and sell them for $2 a piece. Okay. We didn't pocket the money. We ate a candy bar. So for everyone that was <laughs> <That's> the
1: dumbest <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Hey, man. It wasn't
0: even about the money. You were like, oh, sweet, sweet chocolate. We, I mean, First you get the
2: chocolate. Then you get the power. We were, then you get the women.
0: I'm telling you, man. You were probably 12 years old. Uh, we might have kept a couple bucks, but we ate most of the profit for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, that's at 12, fantastic. it makes more sense yeah, than yeah, it Yeah, it was like middle school football or something.
2: <laughs> oh, man. Well, there you go. Now, Harvey, they didn't eat the cookies, they yeah. made the money. And according to one of their childhood friends, they said they made uh, $800 each that summer. $800 in the uh, mid 60s. Man. Holy shit. That's balling. At yeah. what age? Well, he was... He was born in
0: 52, mid-60s, so about 13, 14. He was
2: around that, yeah. He was a a young teenager. If he was even a teenager, he may have been like 10 10 to 14, I'm
0: guessing. uh, I'm guessing he was a year or two ahead of my chocolate hustle.
1: Dude, when we were growing up, $800 over a summer in the 90s would have been a a good summer. Like, let alone back in the 60s. You know what I mean? Yeah, I lived
2: off a whole summer of $300 in savings that I had (laughs) saved up. Great, man. But, yeah, $800 in the mid-60s. So, yeah, I don't even know what that is uh, accounted for with inflation, but it's it's a lot of money, especially for a kid. The other inspiration to Harvey and his brother Bob was their mother, Miriam. And remember, Harvey and Bob's movie company is called Miramax, which is an amalgam of their parents' names, Miriam and Max. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. And according to the people that grew up around Harvey, Miriam was, quote, shrill and bossy additionally she was hypercritical and hammered a sense of inadequacy into harvey and his brother one childhood her friend calling quote she was overbearing saying things like you're fat go outside and play man
0: hmm it sounds like the tough jewish mother out of brooklyn though right yeah, yeah.
2: you know? you're fat you need to go outside and go play. outside and run the block harvey don't sit in front of the tv all summer harvey how do you get so much money yeah, she, she's like making fun of Max. She's like, your son makes more money than you do, loser, with a diamond ear. Nobody wants that <laughs> gazy shit. Go jump some rope in the street with your brother. You can't even fit in that Boy Scout outfit anymore. That's it. Max, you put on the Boy Scout uniform. We're doing a role play. This time you won't be a fucking loser. Man. Oh yeah, but she was also apparently very overbearing with Max as well, which is likely why Max would so often take the boys out of the house and take them to movie theaters, basically just to escape the incessant nagging and the condescension of Miriam. Early on, Harvey showed an affinity for more highbrow art and foreign films and for something else. According to his brother Bob, when Harvey was 15, he pressed his brother and father to see the Swedish art film I Am Curious Yellow rather than their regular choice of movie. It was foreign and subtitled, and Bob protested, saying that he didn't want to quote read the movie. Here, here, yeah, I'm with Bob. <laughs> there you go. Well, Harvey pulled young Bob aside, and he explained that they needed their father Max to sign off on this thing because while the movie was foreign and definitely was subtitled, it was also rated X, and it was going to be a glorious booby fest. Oh, nice! <laughs> Bob recalled at that point, quote, "Foreign films suddenly didn't seem so bad." <laughs> I got my glasses. Let's go. That's it. Yeah. And they said that uh, Max fell asleep during like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And they just sat there and basically watched the Swedish porno for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And it probably isn't all that shocking that Harvey wasn't known as a ladies man when he was a teenager. He was pasty skinned and overweight. A childhood friend said that he suffered from acne and, quote, was very awkward with women because he was really hideous. Surprise, surprise. That's the thing. Like, his crater face, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's got bad
0: acne scars. We can talk bad about this guy. He's a Oh, yeah. Say whatever bag. you want, man. Oh, he's a
1: piece of shit. An ugly piece of shit, too.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you <laughs> we know
0: how some people's, like, noses have, like, the giant pores? Yes. You know what I mean? Like, God. Yeah, he Moon was. Knows.
2: He was not an, an attractive dude. No, he's not. In fact, it's just I was cracking up because I was like, this guy was supposed to be his friend, and he described him as really hideous. And I was thinking, like, (laughs) that's a pretty harsh description coming from a friend. Like, you're a great pal at all, but your face looks like a ball sack. (laughs) I'm just doing you a friendly favor by being honest, you fucking stinky sack of shit.
1: He's like the real life Kevin from The
2: Office, but as a uh, the king of Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is before all that. So he just had to. That's what I said. He actually was like he had friends in school. He was like nice, sarcastic. I guess to some extent was like self-deprecating and stuff like that. Like, he knew he was ugly as fuck. And uh, in one interesting turn of coincidence, Harvey wrote in a friend's high school yearbook, quote, Dear Sheila, we had a blast. Best is yet to come. Then he added a fictitious address. New York State Prison. Three five five three 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 six nine.
0: What? So is, what's the three three three? So that was like his prisoner number. Oh, OK. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, that was put in a yearbook in the late 60s, and then that guy is in New York State prison right now. A little bit of foreshadowing. Interesting. Exactly. Following high school, Harvey decides to get as far away from New York City as possible while still maintaining in-state tuition status. So, he goes to the University of Buffalo. That's right. Yep. And it's here that he meets Horace Corky Berger, a student with an equally entrepreneurial mind. They both eventually drop out of the university and start Harvey and Corky Present. Didn't they have the Corky Burger at BurgerFi? I they, possibly so. I don't even know, man. I don't know BurgerFi's menu. It
0: sounds like something they'd have at BurgerFi yeah. or Burger Twenty-One. They something had Corky like that.
2: on Life Goes On. That's the only name I ever remember. It Corky, yeah, yeah, Corky, yeah. The name was forever changed for me. I was like, oh, you can't have right the name there Corky with you. you. Oh yeah,
0: forever. The Corky Burger.
2: That's it. Let's see here. Yeah. So anyways, they start Harvey and Corky present. It's a concert promotion company and the and company. Sorry. Go ahead. With, with the hamburger
0: food truck on the outside. There, of yes. There you go. Harvey and Corky's it's concerts
2: and hamburgers. That's it. Come He's and it. get it. Come get a burger, a burger, a concert and a boob grope. <laughs> and some psychedelics. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. Yeah. But so the company is an amazing success. According to a local entertainment journalist from that time, quote, they were able to bring stuff to town that Buffalo hadn't seen before. They were very good promoters, self-promoters. And Buffalo is a grateful town if you do something. So people like them a lot. You get some pretty big names, right? Some huge names, yeah. The music promotion game itself had been handled in Buffalo for years by a small family-run company. And Harvey and Corky pretty much steamrolled these guys, taking all of their accounts and basically just shitting on them. These guys were really upset. They were saying, that they were like, hey, we've represented this band for like 20 years. And Harvey and Corky were just like, get fucked, dude. It doesn't even matter. (laughs) Business is business. That's right, yeah. But they were able to book major acts like the Rolling Stones and Chuck Berry for one. And in fact, the Chuck Berry concert itself becomes part of the legend of Harvey and Corky. Because allegedly, the night of the concert... Chuck Berry tried to muscle the two young promoters into upping the sellout bonus from $10,000 to $50,000, threatening not to perform unless they brought the 50K to him right then in cash in a brown paper bag. What? Yeah. Chuck Berry held him ransom, huh? Chuck Berry is completely fucking insane, so this story is very likely true. And did Weinstein come through with it, or did he... What happened? Well, what happened was they had SWAT team members that were off-duty that were their security... And they came up to Chuck Berry, and they were trying to explain to him. They were saying, look, dude, if you do this, you're going to cause a riot. Berry was just like, you know, fuck you guys, dude. Give me my money. At this point, Corky took matters into his own hands. He brought in a relative with alleged mob ties who, ass-whipping cane in hand, told Berry, you get out on this stage right now, or I'm going to take my fucking cane to you, and I'm going to have my guys come down here and take care of you.
0: Wow. Damn. Pulled out the muscle.
2: That's it. Chuck Berry
0: went on stage and did as he was told. And I'm sure he got his $10,000 sellout bonus. Yeah, probably
1: so, man. Be happy with a 10, I guess. Right. If you're liking what you're hearing so far, check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast platform. It could change your life forever. Or maybe just give you something good to listen to on your way to work.
2: Enjoy the show, and thanks for your support. So, yeah, Harvey was becoming a local celebrity at this point, And apparently, this started going to his head. His old friends from high school recall a particular moment when it became apparent that Harvey thought he had outgrown them. In March 1973, he invited about a dozen of his high school friends to a Grateful Dead concert that he was promoting. When they arrived after a 740 mile drive, one friend recalled, quote, He treated us like shit. I thought, what happened to my friend Harvey? He was being an asshole. He ignored us. He was the big shot. We were too little for him. It was awful. That's the first time I saw him becoming a schmuck unfortunately you see that
0: happen a lot man you get somebody that it, it, it is what it is yeah. some people are able to handle the the, the success, fortune the fame yep. and others let it get to their head and they turn into a different person and that guy's quote rings home because it's like mm-hmm. they turn to just a totally different person that yeah. usually just sucks yeah you don't want to hang yep. out with them and fuck them anyway you know yeah
2: well i think yep. you know bill murray said something about getting famous and he was basically like everybody that gets famous will become an asshole he's like it's a question of how long he was like For him, he was like, I was like this for a year or two, and then I got over myself. He's like, some people never get over it. Yep. Harvey was one of those prime
1: suspects right there.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine the psychology of it. His friends are literally saying that he's hideous. His dad is like a failure that screws him and his brother out of money. His mom says that he's fat and he's a fucking loser and shit. Get out of the house or whatever. And he gets out of New York. Goes to uh, to uh Buffalo, Buffalo yeah. and then turns into a business success man. and not business success and like, oh, hey, I got a successful business, but like a very alluring business of rock music. And right. now instead of just being I make a lot of money, he's like, I make a lot of money and I've got all these cool kids that are coming to me to get these tickets. And I do have the money, but I'm also hanging out with these celebrities and chicks are wanting to fuck. Of course, it's going to go to his head. Yeah, man. of course. Of course it is. Of course. Problem is, he didn't get over himself, Right. And it's around this time that the rumors of Harvey's sexual advances come into focus. One local Buffalo woman recalled an interaction she had with Harvey around 1975. See, she worked for a company that Harvey and Corky did business with up there. Specifically, she was a bill collector for this company. And as she noted, Harvey and Corky were notorious for being late on payments. So to placate her, Harvey offers her some great concert tickets to a band called Hot Tuna, nonetheless. Oh, right. It sounds like the hot ticket yeah, in town. that's
1: it. Sounds like an awesome show.
2: They actually were a really big band at this time, but they're a band that once their career was over, like nobody remembers them well. Gotcha. No, they just got forgotten, basically. Right. She takes him up on the opera, and he tells her to swing by his house before the show to pick up the tickets. When she arrives, she is told by one of Harvey's roommates that Harvey is in the bathtub, but to go see him for the tickets. When she gets back there, Harvey invites her in, and then he asks... Can you wash my back? Can you wash my Whoa, back? That's uh, can so you weird. wash my back? Oh, I know, right? Man. Yeah. The woman says she got freaked out. And she just grabbed the tickets and basically left real quickly, stunned by what had just happened. Can oh. you wash my back? Like, God. You had time to think
0: about this, man. Mm-hmm. You had like, you know, you're like, what am I going to say? How am I going to try yeah. to touch my dick? No,
2: that's too it's that's, too forward. Can't go there. Too no. forward. Mm-hmm. I wanted to seem like, you know, she's doing me a favor. It's not necessarily sexual. Uh my back. I've got back knee pretty bad. But you know at this point, I am a rock promoter. I don't think she's gonna give a fuck. It would have been great if she showed up early and he was taking a shit and she's walked in on <laughs> taking a shit and
0: like, God, get out of here, yeah. get out of here's the tickets go. He said, so Look here, do you know what a bumpkin is?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain to you what it is, okay? He said I'm over here taking a doo-doo. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, unfortunately, like I said, she's starting to question herself, right? She's thinking like maybe, maybe I overreacted. So she actually decides after the concert she goes, "I'll swing by Harvey's office and just tell him thanks for the tickets." So when she does get there, he immediately puts his arm around her, tries to kiss her, and then, according to her, makes it very apparent what he was expecting. Mm-hmm. And that was a blumpkin. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was a blowjob. It was a blowjob.
0: Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> what? He went from wash my back to suck my dick. Man, that escalated quickly. Yeah, you know it's the next. It's the natural progression well, for thing. concert tickets. I mean, mm-hmm. and especially for hot tuna. For hot tuna, yeah. I mean, suck my dick for hot tuna
2: depends on if there was backstage access. <laughs> there, there, well, that's yeah. I think he was requesting backstage access. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been denied. Yeah. Hey, look here, if you won't let me, uh, you know, do the natural stuff, how would you let me go to the back door here? <laughs> <laughs> Black door. Back door gets your best. All right, man. So let's pause here for a second and address the elephant man in the room. <laughs> right, let's go ahead and get it out of the way because uh, here's the deal. Harvey Weinstein is a fucking rapist, okay? Not allegedly, but actually. And I can legally say that without any repercussion because the verdict is in. That's right. He's in jail. Yep, 12 of our uh, fellow Americans have found him guilty. That's right. But I'm not going to list all the incidents of sexual assault in chronological order. We don't have enough time in five shows to do that. Because there are like over 100 claims to Weinstein sexual assaults. For real. and Not to mention that there's literally not a single joke that can be made about sexual assault. And we're a comedy podcast. So yeah, doing uh, Weinstein sexual assault jokes may not be the best brand fit for us. So instead... I'm going to focus on the M.O. of Weinstein, right? What Weinstein did is effectively grooming. Okay, basically, Weinstein would target a certain type of woman, women that were in his professional sphere or women that wanted to be in his professional sphere. He leveraged his power in order to get what he wanted. You want concert tickets? Cool. Come get them for me. I'm in the bathtub. (laughs) You want a movie (laughs) rule? Come audition. I'm in
1: the hotel. And I heard that, like, he would target girls that didn't have strong team members around them. Like, I heard Rose McGowan talking about it a little bit, and she was like, he came at me because I didn't have a strong team around me. And there were other people that he would leave alone, but when he would find the girl that had the weak team or just, you know, was vulnerable, he would go in and strike.
2: Yeah, notoriously, he was trying to go after Gwyneth Paltrow, and that's the time that her and Brad Pitt were dating, and the rumor was that Brad Pitt called him and was like, don't you fucking do anything, dude. And he was a big enough star at that point where he had to just fucking listen, I guess. Back off, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Back off, bitch!
0: (laughs) 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 I'm Brad Pitt! (laughs)
2: But yeah, he didn't come out like right out and like wild eyed and pants down, attack them in a parking lot like some Lifetime movie version of rape. He just found out something that they wanted and then he pushed the boundaries of where they felt comfortable. For instance, Ashley Judd said that when she was filming Kiss the Girls in the late 90s, which was a Miramax movie, Weinstein began by asking her to meet him at his hotel to eat. Then, quote, lured her into his hotel room by asking her to help him pick out what to wear. Eventually, she said, he requested she watch him take a shower. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. God, that's going to be so weird for
0: like pretty much your boss to be like, yeah. hey, come on up to the room. Let's uh, pick out wardrobe for tomorrow and then uh, maybe sit on the john while yeah. I take a shower. Watch me take a
2: bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cold in here. I need to warm up with the steamy bath, girl.
0: Might have had shrinkage.
2: Grab the loofah. Get my back. That's it. Well, she, she said, quote, there was a lot that happened between the point of entry and the bargaining. When I kept saying no to everything, there was a huge asymmetry of power and control in that room. That's exactly what it is, which I just want to point out, dude has a thing for bathing pickup lines, doesn't he? And more importantly, how the fuck can you be so mentally defective as to think that one of the most beautiful women in the world would actually want to watch your ugly walrus ass lather up with your axe dark temptation body wash? I'm not getting where the bathtub thing's coming from. Yeah. Well, I honestly think that Harvey Weinstein uses axe body wash. Hmm. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm like 99%. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's an Axe body user. He's like my grandma that used to
1: stock like 52 liter bottles of Coke in her garage. Yeah. He's got like 50 bottles of Axe in a closet, you know.
2: He's got 50 bottles of Axe and then he gets out and he has that shower to shower powder that everybody's grandma had back in the day. <laughs> oh, just powder up the balls. He said, I don't want to get chafed on here while I'm walking around checking out these starlets. You guys know I've... Put ball powder on, <laughs> yeah. but you remember the old? Jo- it was called shower to shower, and I swear to God, it's like all old people had it.
0: I, I go with the gold bond, yeah, Just like the gold bond powder.
2: Gotta get the gold bond. Well, yeah. we've had this conversation many times, Randy. You are the oldest thirty-eight year old on the planet. <laughs> gold bond monogram shirts, after shave, <laughs> after shave. <laughs>
0: 39,
2: 39. Well, I was doing you a favor. Uh, (laughs) So, the sexual assault reality is going to weigh in heavy on old Walrus Weinstein's score, of course. Okay, He did it. He's a horrible human being. Worse still, he's likely only one of many to conduct themselves as such in the entertainment industry. And to be fair, any environment in which there is, as Ashley Judd said, a huge asymmetry in power. This motherfucker started the Me Too movement, man. That's right. Which,
0: I mean... Good on all these women for coming forward and getting this kind of bullshit out. I
2: know people like really mad about it, which I never understand. Like, what's the Me Too shit? I'm like, I mean, if it's legitimate claims, like, what the fuck, dude? Right. And it happens all the time. Yeah, what is wrong with it? You know what I mean, Like That's the thing. Like, it happens. And, it you know, it's not even just women. Like Ashley Judd pointed out, any situation where there's an asymmetry of power, whether it's a church situation, whether it's like a Boy Scout situation, whether it's a school situation, whether it's Hollywood, where there's obviously one person who has a lot more power and they can leverage that over somebody else who is more, I guess, naive to what's going on or needs help. That happens everyday life. You know, it's not just Hollywood.
1: Oh, yeah. And but I mean, I heard even one of the girls talking about it and she was like, all of a sudden it just started happening and I didn't want it to happen. But part of me was like, well, this is like the casting couch session. Like, this is what you have to do to get into Hollywood. So, yeah. Fuck, I don't want to do this, but I got to do this. He can
2: ruin my career. So, you know. Well, and even then, the psychology of it, remember back to the Chicken Buffalo, that he asked her to wash my back. That's right. Well, obviously that's a sexual come on, right. right? But because he didn't do it directly, it was more of an oblique sexual advance. A gray area. Yeah, she was thinking that maybe she overreacted. Yeah, and it was her fault. And that's sort of how it works. Because She's like, well, I mean, he, yeah, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe it really, you know what I'm saying? So that's the weird thing is that, you know, in like Lifetime movies, the guy automatically starts with his dick out. He's like, nah,
0: nah, 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 at that
2: girl." but in real life, it is these sort of more <laughs> oblique gestures that are like, my <laughs> all right. So like I said, let's, we got that out of the way. All right. He's a, he's a rapist. Fuck that guy. Now let's move on to some of the other asshole attributes of our hideous, hideous friend. Shall we? Towards the late seventies, Harvey has outgrown music promotion and Buffalo, New York. He wants to get into the movies. So he and his brother, Bob start Miramax films. He starts out by doing weekend film festivals at a theater that he and Corky own in Buffalo. And they actually proved pretty successful, right? Like they were selling out. They were saying all these kids were coming on the weekends to get high and watch these like foreign films or whatever. With lots of titties in them. Yeah, exactly. And then that money that they made off of those film festivals was enough to get him into actually producing films. And he's a music promoter, so he obviously starts with music films, right? So he starts out with, like, concert movies for Paul McCartney and for Genesis and some other bands like that, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You can go in there and look at his filmography, and early on it was nothing but, like, and they're big fucking bands for the time. He did have that sort of sway, you know? Oh, yeah, huge. Genesis was fucking huge. Absolutely, man. Genesis and Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney, yeah. Yeah. But eventually, in the beginning of the 80s, he goes back to New York City, where he and his brother start working out of a tiny two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan off of Broadway. Long story short, okay, over the next four decades, Miramax Films becomes an absolute juggernaut in the movie industry. This is the part that we all know. Mm -hmm. So I didn't go into this too deeply, but let's go ahead and give you some of the titles that the Weinsteins are responsible for getting out into the public. There's 1988's The Thin Blue Line, which was the documentary that forever changed documentaries, basically, right? There was My Left Foot in 1989, which was nominated for Best Picture for the Academy Awards and actually won Daniel Day-Lewis, his first statuette for Best Actor. Mm -hmm. There was also 1989's unforgettable Return of Swamp Thing, which I just wanted to include. Uh, Yeah.
0: was it up for best picture <laughs> as well? It was,
2: yes. Best main actor. Swamp Man actually won best supporting actor.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure the uh, special effects team, you know, oh, yeah. scored heavy on the uh, Swamp Man yeah. as well.
2: They said, we're going to get the moss off of those trees and just glue it to his body. <laughs> you just come out of that nasty lake and action. So then you got Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and pretty much all of Tarantino's work up until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Kevin Smith's Clerks. Train Spotting, Swingers, Sling Blade, Goodwill Hunting, Gangs of New York, City of God, No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood. Like, it is a long list of absolutely standout films, right? Right. Jesus Christ. Those are all fucking just, I mean,
1: knockouts right there. Yeah. And, you know, the phrase,
0: you don't want to meet your hero. Obviously, this
1: guy... I don't want
0: to say he wasn't a lot of people's hero, an extremely successful yeah. figure in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. An absolute monster. But it, like you said, from surface level, listen to the titles of those movies. Yeah. But most people have seen 50 to 60 percent of all the movies you just listen. Yeah. You know, and that they're over all... the age of 23 or 25, you know.
2: Absolutely. And they're movies that people still watch nowadays. You know what I'm saying? People still know those movies. Stand the test of time. Exactly.
0: Probably closer to 30 years old versus 23 or Probably 25. So, but, you yeah. know.
2: Now, the thing is this, OK, Harvey Weinstein was legitimately good at picking quality movies to produce. Right. That's what we're talking about. A lot of those films he chose to back were from people that were relative nobodies at the time of their inception. OK, the Weinsteins were willing to take that kind of risk. And that was good for all fans of movies. But now I've seen a lot of articles now that state that he was like overrated at film selection or whatever. But I think that feels like revisionist history in light of the accusations and like subsequent verdict. Because let's be honest, like I said, the list speaks for itself. The Weinstein brothers produced a mountain of great films. But that doesn't mean he wasn't an asshole while he did it either, right? right? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Instead of just whipping out your phone and pushing random buttons in that awkward situation, make sure you're subscribed to our channel on your favorite podcast platform. You don't want to miss a new show. Now, back to the action.
2: Which brings us to the other aspect of Harvey Weinstein that should be considered for his final verdict here on Asshole Court. And that is, Harvey Weinstein was a massive bully. Here are a few stories to support that statement. One anonymous source that worked at Weinstein's London office had this to say. She said, when she went for the job interview, there were two interviews for the job. She said, I got a full briefing in the first interview about him being a bully from the people who worked with him. She said, I remember giving that same chat myself when I was interviewing later. This is the reality. I think it's a bit alluring. You're thinking, I can handle that. Before my second interview with him, which was at the hotel, I did get warned about him going into the bathroom and masturbating. Jesus Christ. <laughs> in the middle of an interview? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because that's pretty commonplace. You know, you go to the corporate headquarters, go in. I know. Uh, the guy excuses himself mid-interview yeah. to go rub one out, yeah. come back, ask you more. Uh, you know, yeah,
1: yeah. you're a really promising candidate, but I'm going to have to go beat one out of myself. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I need 12 minutes in the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. Really, just
2: about 12 seconds. I'm putting it <laughs> on right now. But she thought that that person was just gossipy and didn't think it was like realistic. Right. She said it sounded so out there. I just didn't believe it, which feels a bit ridiculous now. They made a joke about him being a perv. They said, you know, keep your coat on during the interview. Once she got the job, she says, my days were rarely the same. The only constant being that they were chaotic and adrenalized. You would end up being proud of the strangest things like getting through the day without being screamed at or without him publicly abusing someone else, a waiter, a colleague, a director, a driver. It was a horrible feeling to be screamed at or, quote, fired. He threatened that multiple times a day, but it was far worse to see him abuse someone else. Fighting back didn't work with him, really, but you could intervene on someone else's behalf and draw his fire. It was like tending to a giant, belligerent, disgusting baby. His moods dictated so much that you constantly thought about whether he was tired or hungry or thirsty or cold. Those are shitty fucking
1: conditions to work in, man.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, And think about having to put up with that. You know what I mean? That's these people's paycheck. That's their boss. You know what I mean? Yep. And having to deal with that kind of bullshit every day. Yeah. And like you said, the uncomfortable feeling... You know, we've all been around people that are just general assholes yes. and they're loudmouths, and they love to be the center of attention. Yep. And it just makes people honestly, by the end of the night, usually like, dude, get the fuck yep. out of here. Yeah.
2: People that are just like belligerent. So glad.
0: Just yep. leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can imagine getting out of work and we're like, God, yeah, thank God. I don't yeah. want to see that motherfucker for another 12 hours. Well,
2: know? yeah. And, you know, you get normalized to it. Like she's talking about, she was like, looking back on it, it's completely insane that I even stayed in that environment as long as I did, because that's not normal. But slowly... You get sort of sucked into that life. You get desensitized to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get desensitized. It becomes normal. She actually made a point about why people put up with it. She says everybody wanted to get their movie made. And I understand that. But I feel sick that his bullying was allowed to flourish in public. And no one ever said this isn't acceptable. She said if you raised the issue, she said you were laughed off as naive. There was this underlying feeling that maybe you just weren't good enough to really impress him. You weren't smart enough to get my joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What a yeah. dick. Yeah. Yeah. And the people around him, the problem, too, is that he was enabled because nobody called him on his shit. I, again, it's it,
0: it's almost like it's that guy, but it has all the power. Yeah, no, it's that guy. That's the, the outspoken asshole that treats everybody like shit but he's the one calling all the shots he's the one signing your paycheck he's the one making the movie yeah Yeah, and it would be
2: different too if he was like producing a bunch of bullshit that constantly flopped but he's dropping bombs like I don't mean bombs in a bad way like he is absolutely lighting up in the entire film industry like he's doing great projects so you're like well I'm just gonna have to deal with this and there's a lot of people that actually are famous now that worked through there because they were like I knew what I was getting into but I like this was my best way to get into the industry or whatever There was another guy. His name is Mark Lipsky, and he worked at Miramax in the very early days from like 1986 to 1992. And he recounts this story. This one is actually pretty fucking funny, man. He said, I remember one time Harvey was holding a meeting in a conference room. It was standing room only. And he just went off at this woman calling her a man's name. Richard or something it wasn't even a name that could have gone either way it was completely psychotic and this overcrowded room of people who had gotten so used to the insanity there wasn't a whole lot of surprise I don't know what the effect was on that woman but it couldn't have been Jesus good. Christ <laughs> he's like look here Bob you're you you're gonna get this film made or I'm gonna beat your ass <laughs> now show me your tits Bob show me those boobies Bobby Dude, I can't even imagine. Like He was doing that intentionally. What a dick! Like, to belittle somebody, but in such a petty way that it's literally like almost psychological torture. Because, you know, if someone... Like, to me, it doesn't bother me if someone gets my name wrong, but if they continuously get it wrong, then maybe you step in and you're like, no, no, it's Mike, it's cool. But if you say you correct them and they're still like, look here, Bob! I just can't even imagine man, it.
0: Man, so there was a famous interview with a guy named Jim Rome, sports guy. Oh, fuck yes. And he had a guy, a quarterback for the LA Rams on. Jim Everett. Jim Everett. Jim Everett was a good NFL quarterback, played a long time. For the Rams. Yeah, played for the Rams. And when he went on Jim Rome's show, started out real friendly, and he called him Chris Everett, who is a female <laughs> tennis player. <laughs> greatest, One of the greatest of all yes. time. She's a great American tennis yep. player. But he called him Chris Everett twice, and he warned him. He said, hey, man. You do it again, and uh, you know it's not going to end well for you. Yep. And his literal next words were, "All right, Chris." And that professional Flip athlete the fucking table yep, flipped the table and grabbed that motherfucker, and it was it really, was on
2: air. Oh yeah, I remember oh, watching oh, yeah. this awesome. in like seventh
0: grade. I was like, oh shit, yeah. oh god! Oh, it was great. And the it best thing great. too is Jim Rome is a fucking asshole. Yeah, so it was great. He's chilled out a little bit in his older years, but he that was his that was his shtick though. You know what I mean? Was to be the asshole. A lot of the sports guys. What a
2: fun shtick! <laughs> hey, check it out. Here's my character, right? I'm a dickhead. I'm a guy that's just really obnoxious. Okay, how does that sound? Because all you sports guys, they want a guy that's obnoxious, right, Sally, you ugly bitch? <laughs> I, I love seeing that shit, man. And he did. He gave him fair warning. Hey, he, he was like, you like, say that again. I'm going to get you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's he... where you just say, you know what? I'm sorry. And dude. that's where the next word's out
0: of his mouth. All right, Chris. And he just <laughs> flipped the table and went at him, dude. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, and what was great was seeing the fear of God in yep. Jim Rome's eyes. Oh, man. Immediately, <laughs> his face went just white. And he was like, ah! Dude, you're talking to a professional athlete. Yeah. Right. You're going to sit there and try to fight. there. It's like you see the skinny drunk guy that tries to fight the bouncer. I love those videos. (laughs) There's a moment where they think they literally in their mind, they're like, I could probably take this guy. And then they get hit once. And they're just like, if they're not asleep on their feet, (laughs) they're like, "Uh oh, (laughs) oh, man. But yeah, Harvey Weinstein actually physically assaulted people, too. Mark Lipsky said they had a somewhat senior guy who came running into the office one morning. He said, a big guy, lovely guy, red and sweating. And he says, somebody called the police. Harvey just attacked me. He said, Harvey attacked him on the street in front of the office. And then Mark Lipsky says, that was probably his last day. I don't think anybody called the police. Wow! <laughs> Show up to work, get beat up <laughs> by your boss.
0: Call a cop Call like that, nah, dude.
1: We're good. You just can't handle. Just go it.
0: head home. Yep. You yeah. don't need the number to HR. Just keep him moving there. Don't be a bitch, dude. <laughs> Everybody gets beat up at work, man. Yeah. Just shut up and take it. <laughs> it's Harvey,
2: man. You're lucky he's not masturbating <laughs> on you, man. <laughs> Oh, man. But so there are plenty of these types of stories. But I'll put one last one in here that highlights just what an asshole Harvey Weinstein is. You guys know who Kate Beckinsale is? Uh, actress. right? Oh, yeah. The Underworld series. Exactly yeah. right. She's a huge movie star. Yeah. She was in Pearl Harbor. She was in The Aviator. She was in Underworld. Yada, yada, yada. Well, she does a Miramax movie in 2001 called Serendipity. And the premiere is supposed to take place in New York City mere weeks after 9-11. She and her co-stars don't want anything to do with it, stating that, quote, with the city still smoking, we felt that it was the most insensitive, tone deaf and disrespectful idea possible. What was the movie about? What movie was it? It was like a rom-com with uh, John Cusack.
0: He's the king of rom-com. Yeah,
2: you know, but there you go. Fluff. Not something that you show up to. For you know, 9-11, the city's still smoking. Right? Right. She says, dude, she said Weinstein is having none of it, though. He insists that they carry on as usual, perhaps to avoid coming across as totally tone deaf. Beckinsale does go to the premiere, but she opts to dress in a very conservative, loose-fitting white suit with her hair pulled back. The next morning, Weinstein calls Beckinsale and tells her to come to his house so that their young kids, who at this point are the, are the same age, So that they can play together. She agrees. She said she's felt kind of weird about, you know, this whole thing, but she's like, all right, fine, whatever. Kids can play. She says, quote, I turned up and he immediately called for his nanny to take the babies to another room to play. I went to go with him and he said, no, you wait here. The minute the door closed, he started screaming, you stupid fucking cunt. You cunt. You ruined my premiere. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I started to shake. He said, if I'm throwing a red carpet, you get in a tight dress, you shake your ass, you shake your tits. You do not go out there looking like a fucking lesbian, you stupid fucking cunt. Wow. Jesus Christ. She said, the shock made me burst into tears. I tried to say, Harvey, the city is on fire. People are still looking for their relatives. None of us even felt the premiere was appropriate, much less coming out dressed like it's a bachelorette party. He says, I don't care. It's my fucking premiere. And if I want pussy on the red carpet, that's what I get.
0: Jesus man Wow That is an ultimate bully move
1: mm-hmm. What a bully yeah. yeah And just to show you where his mind was You know a couple weeks after 9-11 I mean we all went through that And I mean Hell like yeah. think of where our minds were at Shortly after 9-11
0: Oh dude mm-hmm. I was ready to go join the military And go kill something for well, And he's know.
2: from fucking New York homie Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean You, you know, know what I'm saying uh, But even then like Why would you ever talk to somebody like that <laughs> Ever Man But he did. There you go. He's an asshole. Now, obviously, most of us are aware that Harvey Weinstein has been found guilty of having committed numerous sex crimes and was ultimately sentenced on March 11th to 23 years in prison. Immediately following the sentencing, Weinstein got rushed to the hospital for ongoing heart problems. But following his imprisonment and his heart problems, Harvey's fall from grace wasn't totally complete because on March 23rd, Just days after being transferred to the state's maximum security wind correctional facility near his old stomping grounds of Buffalo, New York, Harvey Weinstein tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, no. That's right. Yeah. He's COVID-19. Yeah. So now we finish with two obvious questions. The first is obvious, right? What is the final asshole score for Harvey Weinstein? And the second, is there a God that is actually publishing Weinstein for being a rapist asshole? What's the old, so the, the one guy, I don't remember who said that, but they, he said, I've never wished death upon a man, but I have read obituaries with much glee or something okay, like that. Yeah. 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 One of those. don't want him to die, but if he dies, I don't give a fuck. Right. It's like when, you know, you
0: hear like Timothy McVeigh. Oh yeah. Sure. He, oh yeah. When yeah. he got executed, it's like, hmm, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it's yeah. not. There you go. Another one bites the dust. That's hell, it. Bump. Um, All right, dudes. Well, what do you got? Final scores. All right. So I learned a lot today. I was excited to learn about some of the early life stuff Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people, unless you've done a deep dive or read a lot about this guy, you didn't know how he was brought up and kind of what got him to where he was. Yeah. So I I enjoyed that aspect of it. I didn't know about the the bullying. Obviously, it goes hand in hand with (laughs) raping. Power move. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But those specific stories just really highlighted a lot of his bullshit. I went pretty high in my pre-show, but, you know, he he ticked up a touch. Final asshole rating for me is going to
1: be 8.75.
2: Okay.
1: All right, buddy. All right. So for me, I think this guy is a total piece of shit. He used his power and his position to be able to do whatever he wanted to to a lot of girls that were coming to Hollywood to just try and follow their dreams. I'm sure for a lot of them, he shattered it like the moment they got there in that sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I never agree with anything like that at all. And it's just, it's appalling to me. And I just don't like it. So, um, my original asshole score for Harvey Weinstein was a 7.5, but I'm going to bump it up. I'm going to give Harvey Weinstein a final asshole score of an 8.25 uh, after hearing all the
2: information laid out for me today. Okay, all right. And uh, obviously, the rape thing is a uh, horrible. He's a fucking horrible bully. He's a horrible person. I think that when we did Steven Seagal, who also is and now he's an alleged rapist, Harvey Weinstein is a convicted rapist. So I have to sort of temper my score in that way. I think I gave Seagal like a seven point five or maybe an eight. So with all of that in there, uh, Harvey Weinstein is a horrible human being. Nobody died, but he did rape a lot of people. I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him an eight. All right, I'll
1: give him an eight. All right. So with an eight point seven five from Randy, an eight point two five from Buddy, and an eight from Mikey, Harvey Weinstein's final asshole score is an eight point three three repeating.
0: All right. Well, there we go. All right. Eight point three three. He ranks pretty high up on the scale. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he definitely does. Well when you get convicted for rape, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the other ones, like I said, Seagal was alleged rapist. I think he did it, but he hasn't been convicted yet. Right. No, absolutely. So I have to sort of like, you know And he was also a predatory raper.
1: Like, I mean he he was very methodical about the way that he did it and um, you know, really, in my opinion, like got a lot of pleasure out of it. And
2: um, that's it it's, it's fucked up Well any rapist Is really getting Pleasure out of it Right It's all the, It's a power trip Yeah Ruining someone's yep. night Yep And life There
0: you go Alright Alright dudes Awesome Well we hope you guys Enjoy the show We absolutely As always Appreciate your support Hey stay safe out there Do what you gotta do To protect yourself And your family In the time of uncertainty When you got time On your hands Hey go on there And uh, give us a follow On your favorite Podcast platform again we appreciate the support we hope everybody is staying safe and we'll catch you next time on asshole court all
1: right